Give him praise in this house this morning. Oh, wow, it's so exciting to be here with you on this Easter morning, this resurrection morning. It's one of my favorite times of the year. One of my most nervous times, but one of my blessed times. I remember a little story. I've told it to our congregation many times, but it's just so real and so true because I remember as a little boy being in Sunday school, and I understand how the little boy felt. There was a little boy, and they've been asking questions throughout the Sunday school class, and the answers was, you know, Jesus and and the Lord and the different things. The little kids were getting everything right, and finally the teacher says, well, what is furry, and it It's got a long tail and it jumps from tree to tree and it eats acorns and it eats hickory nuts. And finally, a little boy, he tried to answer all of the other questions and he finally was called upon by the teacher and says, okay, Johnny, what do you think that that is? He says, well, it sounds like a squirrel, but everything around here is Jesus, so I'm gonna go with Jesus. (laughs) Amen? And I tell you, everything around the palace is Jesus Christ. There was an old movie years ago that kind of put a mockery on Jesus, but they got it right. Jesus Christ, superstar. Can you say amen? Praise the Lord. If you have your Bibles with you, turn with me to the book of John chapter 14, verse 19. One passage of scripture is all we're gonna be reading this Easter. The Lord's kind of led me a little bit differently than my normal Easter services. John chapter 14, verse 19, you can remain seated for the reading of the word. But before, while you're looking that up, we're going to do our declaration. If they'll put the declaration up on the board, we do this at the palace because we believe in it. We believe that there's power in the declaration that the Lord has given us. I hope they're ready for that. If not, we won't do it. But yes, here it is. Let's say it together, would you with me? Lord, today, by faith, we declare that we are walking in the manifestation season. As your faithful remnant, we will house your very presence. We are the righteousness of God in Christ Jesus. He has delivered us from all of our troubles and our fears. We will not be deceived by the lies of the enemy, but we will give health, healing, and wholeness to the hopeless and those who are in despair. We will live under your anointing and see the revealed purpose of Christ in each of our lives. We declare your everlasting word on earth as it is in heaven. Now give the Lord praise for the declaration. Amen. John chapter 14 verse 19 just says, yet a little while and the world seeth me no more, but ye see me because I live, ye shall live also. May the Lord add his blessings upon the word today. Father, I pray God, that this congregation today would have ears to hear, hearts to receive, eyes to see your very manifested presence in this place. You have come to meet with your people on this Easter morning. This is a time that we celebrate your risen Savior, your, our risen Savior, our risen Lord. And Lord, if he is truly alive and well today, then we need to receive of him as he comes and gives his blessings upon this congregation. We gladly today worship you in spirit and truth and we magnify your holy name together in the name of Jesus Christ and everybody says amen. Here is Jesus in our text comforting his disciples before his departure and we know that his departure would be by the way of the cross to die for the sins of humanity. Jesus tells them of his coming comforter in this chapter which is the Holy Spirit and he lets them know that they would not be alone. He tells them that when the Comforter, the Holy Ghost, comes here, he will lead, he will guide you into all truth. That he would be a paraclete, one alongside of you, to help you in your time of trial. And even though that Jesus was going to Golgotha, that hill, to die on the cross, yet he promises them that he would live again. He promises them of his resurrection from the dead because he promises them not only would he live again, but they themselves would see him again. Aren't you excited about seeing Jesus Christ? He leaves them with his peace at this, in this chapter that even though things would look bleak there for a while, yet Jesus knew that resurrection morning was just around the corner. Our Easter is all about the celebration, not of death, not of the burial, because that happened on Good Friday. But Easter is actually 
frequency, the celebration of the resurrection of Jesus from the dead. It's our, our celebration of our risen king. I want us to focus just for a moment on the resurrection of Jesus Christ. It was Paul that said in 1 Corinthians 15, starting with verse 17, he said, if Christ be not raised from the dead, then your faith is in vain and you're yet dead in your sins. He goes on and says, then they also which are fallen asleep in Christ are perished. In other words, he's just saying that if Christ is not risen from the dead, we're dead in our sins because he's not the risen Savior that he claimed to be. And all of those that have died in the faith, they have perished also. Resurrection simply means being raised from a dead state to a living state. It means the revitalization of life. Today's message is literally going to be a non-typical traditional Easter message, believe it or not. We're going to hit on a little bit of Easter, but we're going to talk to you a little bit about Jesus, the life giver. Today's message is going to be all about Jesus bringing forth life. We know that Jesus died on the cross, and it was one of the darkest times in the face of his followers. As a matter of fact, it was the dark time for the whole world. Can you think about this? God dying. Deity being disposed, sovereignty being sacrificed, the eternal being entombed, the light of the world being put out, and hope being abolished. That's how it seemed to the disciples that day, that the eternal would be entombed, that God died. Can you imagine how they felt? As a matter of fact, it says in Mark 15, 13, concerning Jesus hanging on that cross, it says, and when the sixth hour was come, there was darkness over the land until the ninth hour. The day of Jesus' crucifixion was one of the darkest times in all of history. For three solid hours, there lay Jesus in darkness while hanging on the cross. There was Jesus, the Messiah, the Savior, the Son of God, dying on the cross in three hours of darkness. Matthew even tells us in Matthew 27 and 54, it talks about the dark clouds and the thunder, and it talks about the lightning. Then it talks about an earthquake that shook the earth, and the earth trembled to the point that literally the centurions and all of those that came with him and that was around him believed and said, truly, he was the Son of God. Literally, that day, the, those that those that the, the ones that crucified him were the very ones that come to believe in him. Jesus simply noted that even though that he would die, yet he would raise from the dead. Then I like the next words. What will be the focus of our message today? Because I live, ye shall live also. That's the focus of our message. Let's say it again. Because I live, ye shall live also. So the resurrection means life. Have you ever noticed that everywhere Jesus went, he always brought life with him? Have you ever noticed that everything that Jesus did bring forth life? Have you ever noticed that everything that Jesus touched was brought to life again? This is why the question was asked in the light of the Apostle Paul concerning Christ's resurrection. In the book of Corinthians, chapter 15, starting with verse 55, he says, Oh, death, where is thy sting? You know, grave, where is your victory? In other words, he's saying, Hey, death, what happened? Hey, death, you couldn't hold him down, could you? Hey, what happened to your stinger, oh, sting of death? Because literally, Jesus rose from the dead. We know the sting of death and the coldness of the grave was swallowed up in victory. Jesus arose from the dead in the grave and he conquered their effects. This is why that the rest of the scripture it says in verse 55 and verse 56 and 7, it says, then the sting of death is sin and the strength of sin is the law, but thanks be unto God who gives us the victory through our Lord Jesus Christ. Because I live, he says, ye shall live also. That's a promise to us. How many knows that we got a risen Savior here today? Then that means that you and I can live also. Can you give the Lord praise? Come on, give him praise in this house. And of course, the reason that this, this was possible because Jesus himself has brought life. He's overcome death, hell, and the grave. It was Jesus that said in John 14, verse six, I am the way, I am the truth, I am what? The life. And no man comes unto the Father but by me. Jesus is not only life, but Jesus has purchased life for every single one of us in this building. I love the golden text of the Bible. It never gets old with me. For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son that whosoever believes 
believeth in him should not perish but have everlasting life. For God sent not his son into the world to condemn the world, but that the world through him might be saved. Everywhere Jesus went, everything that he done, everything that he touched brought forth life. He's the life giver. He's the soul saver. He's the body healer. He is the savior of the world. And even in the Old Testament, we see the pre-incarnated Christ, which means that the state of Christ, the state that Christ was in before he was robed in human flesh, we see in the Old Testament that it was the it was even his desire to bring forth life. We know this. Look at John chapter one, verse one through four, speaking of his pre-incarnated state in the Old Testament. In the beginning was the Word. The Word was with God. The Word was God. The same was in the beginning with God, and all things were made by Him. And without Him, there was not anything made that was made. But listen to this: in Him was life, and the life was the light of men. Jesus is the giver of life. Say that with me. Jesus is the giver of life. We see in Genesis chapter 18 that the pre-incarnated Christ appeared with two other spirit beings before Abraham. It is here that he spoke his life into a barren womb. There was a woman by the name of Sarah who was Abraham's wife that was not able to have children. And not only was her womb barren, but she was also past the age of having any children. She is close to 90 years old. Abraham is close to 100 years old. And here comes the Lord at Jesus Christ in a pre-incarnated state. And he comes to Abraham and says, Abraham, your wife, Sarah, is going to have a child. Sarah, almost 90 years old, hears it from inside the tent and where she is at. And she begins to laugh. She begins to laugh into herself quietly where no one heard her, she thought. But the Lord who knows all things perceived her thoughts outside of that tent that day. And he looked at Abraham and said unto Abraham, why did Sarah laugh? Saying, shall I surely bear a child when I am old? Why can't she believe? And this is the next word that the Lord, the incarnated Christ said to Abraham. Is there anything too hard for the Lord? And let me ask this congregation in this 21st century, is there anything too hard for the Lord? Is, can he not still do impossible things? Can I tell you, there's still nothing impossible to them that believe. There's nothing too hard for our risen lamb. But he asked that to Abraham. He said, Abraham, is there anything too hard for the Lord? At the time appointed, I will return unto thee according to the time of life. And Sarah, she's going to have a son. And I want to tell you, you're going to name his name Isaac. His name Isaac means laughter because she's laughed. But I want you to know, and this is what the Holy Spirit wants me to say to this congregation. I'm here to tell everybody here with an empty womb, whether it be a physical womb or a spiritual womb that's empty, that Christ can give life to your barrenness. I don't care how barren you may feel in your life today. I don't care how lifeless you feel. I don't care what kind of circumstance that you're faced with. Your womb may be closed up. You may have been told your promises are not going to come. You have been told that you cannot be blessed. You've been told that your barrenness is, that's been around for years is going to remain. But I'm here to tell someone that birth is about to come your way. Can you say amen? I'm here to tell that God is about to cause your womb to conceive and you're going to birth life into your promise. You're going to birth life into your dreams and God's not going to allow you to remain in barrenness. Can you say amen? There's somebody here today needing to come out of barrenness. We also see in Joshua chapter five, this is when Joshua and the children of Israel was coming against that great fortified city called Jericho. This was the first city and the first real stronghold that they faced after going into the promised land. And there are some of you that have went into your promise, some of you have given your life to the Lord, but yet you have come up against some strong resistance. There's a force that is out to oppose you from living in the land of your promise. There are those of us that are saved, but there's forces trying to rob us of our joy, trying to rob us of life, trying to rob us of happiness, trying to rob us of contentment, trying to rob us of peace, trying to rob us of faith. There's all kinds of forces that is against us that is at work against the believer here today. But what good is it to have a promise if you're not alive in that promise? Can I have a amen? What good is it to have a marriage if your life don't have any life, if your marriage don't have any life in it? What 
what good is it to be a Christian if you don't have any joy? Because it was Nehemiah that said the joy of the Lord is our strength. Can I have an amen? But there's a, there is a force that is out to rob you of the reality of your dreams. The dreams that you have held dear to, dear to your heart. The promises that you have conceived. The hope that you've anticipated. The manifestation that you've looked for. The blessings that you've waited upon. It's now being fought and hindered, fought and hindered due to a heavy resistance. The children of Israel was promised Canaan, a land that flowed with milk and honey. But there's a problem. There was a city that stands in the way. At the very entrance to the promised land stood a mighty fortress of resistance. And can I tell you that there stands forces between you and your promise from the Lord here today. Though there was a city that stand there at the gate of their promise. And though the land was promised, yet it looked like that it was unachievable to possess. How many of you have promises, but you don't feel like that you're going to receive them because they seem to be impossible to achieve or impossible to possess? How many of you sat around and you've prayed and you've longed and you've wanted things to happen in your life, but to no avail? Everywhere you turn, it just seems like defeat after one defeat after another. Everywhere you look, it just seems like failure. It just seems like nothing's going to happen. Life's not going to come into the marriage. Life's not going to come into the job. Things are going to, things are falling apart. How many feel like that their healing is impossible to receive? Maybe you're here today with a sickness and you think, I've had this sickness so long, but I just am never going to be healed. This city was built in terraces. There was an upper terrace and there was a lower terrace. The lower terrace of the city was walled in area about, oh, somewhere around 10 acres big. The upper terrace was about six acres, six acres, which made about 16 acres total of the city of Jericho that was inhabited. Around the city on the lower terrace was a mighty wall. It was about 12 to 15 foot high, and it was about 16 foot wide. You could run two chariots on top of it. Then on top of that wall, the second terrace began because of the terrain, and there was another wall built upon it that was about 26 foot high and six feet wall. So this would make the total wall about 36 to 42 feet high. And every time that the enemy would come up to that city, there was that 42 foot high wall that said, you're not coming in here. Up on this wall, they would put warriors and arrows, rocks, boiling water, boiling oil. And when the enemy would come to try to take over Jericho, they would shoot the arrows from the wall. They would throw the rocks down upon the people. They would pour out the boiling oil and they would consume their enemies. Jericho was a well-prepared fortress for battle. It was a well-massive fortified structure that seemed impossible to penetrate. This was the stronghold that stood in the way of God's promises for Israel. Do you feel like that your promise is, uh, your problem is bigger than your promise today? How many feel like that their problem is bigger than their promise? Do you feel like your dilemmas is bigger than the possible of your deliverance? Do you feel like that the forces against you is greater than the forces with you here this morning? Joshua was faced with this as the leader of Israel. But we see a pre-incarnated Christ appears to Joshua and he appears with a sword drawn in his hand, a mighty warrior ready for battle. And Joshua sees him and Joshua asks him a question. Are you for us or are you for them? He did not know. And he, the Lord answered him and said, I'm neither for you nor I am I for them. I've got an agenda of my own. Now whose side are you on? And Joshua fell down before him and he began to worship the Lord. And there he found favor with God. Oh hallelujah. And the Lord spoke to him and he said, Joshua, take off your shoes for off of your feet because the place wherein you are on, the place where you stand is holy ground. Can you imagine that scene? A Joshua saying, whose side are you on? And the Lord says, I'm not on your side, nor am I on their side, but he turns around to Joshua and says, whose side are you on? And Joshua recognizes him and falls down on his feet and worships. And then Joshua says, or the Lord says to Joshua, take off your shoes, boy. You're standing on holy ground. Though inhabited by the enemy, yet it was already considered holy due to the proclamation of the command of the Lord. I want you to notice this. The word holy here means sanctified or set apart. 
apart. It was set apart for the children of Israel, not for those who inhabited the, the city. And it may have been inhabited, but it was already the children of Israel's by divine proclamation. How many of you have got words spoken over you by the Lord? Raise your hand. Of course you do. There are promises in Scripture. Can I tell you by divine proclamation that which you, that has been promised to you may have not been received yet, but you get ready because I want you to know God has proclaimed it, God has decreed it, and if God has said it, it shall be done in the name of Jesus Christ. Give the Lord praise for your future promise. God told the children of Israel, I want you to do something. This would be hard for some people. It would be hard because the Lord said, I want you to go now and walk around that city one time each day for six days. But when you do, don't say a word. Now, can you imagine? Monday comes along. They start walking. They walk around an area of about 16 to 20 acres, something like that. And they are not to say a word as they walk around that city. Once a day, they had to walk around that little city and not say a word. They'd done that six days. Once a day for six days. And then all of a sudden, there comes a seventh day. And God says, now on the seventh day, we're going to switch things up a little bit. I want you to walk around the city this time seven times. The first six times, I don't want you to say a word, but on the seventh time, we're going to have the priest to go out before you with six ram's horns, and, the, and they're going to bear up the Ark of the Covenant behind them. The Ark of the Covenant, God's presence is going to be behind them. And when they come up and when they come around the seventh time, they're going to blow those horns, and when they blow those horns, I want all the people to shout. So notice here, here they go, the first day, walk around, don't say a word, or the first time, they walk around and don't say a word. The second time they walk around, don't say a word. They do that six times. And on that seventh time, they walk around and all of a sudden, them priests that bore up the Ark of the Covenant blowed the, the ram's horns. And when they did, the people shouted with a great shout. And the Bible says that when the people shouted, the walls of the city came tumbling down and the children of Israel received their promise. This all happened because of the pre-incarnated Christ gave victory. Can I tell you that Jesus Christ is the giver of life in battle. He is the victor. He has promised those things that he's given us and if he has promised them, be of a surety they shall come to pass. Amen. Give the Lord promise that he's the giver of life to your promise. Another time we see a pre-incarnated Christ in the Old Testament is in Daniel chapter 3 with the three Hebrew children. This story is about when the children of Israel was carried away in captivity into Babylon and King Nebuchadnezzar made an image in the land of Dora and he gathered all the people under the image. And the Bible says that the king said, when you hear the music play, all of you are to bow down and worship this image. Due to Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego's faith in God, they would not do it. They disobeyed the king, and, not, and they would not bow down and worship the idol, and they would not serve it. And the king gave a command and said, if these three Hebrew children do not worship, then they will be thrown into a burning, fiery furnace. And then in sarcasm, he asked the question, and what God can deliver them out of my hands? What kind of a God thinks he is to try to deliver him out of my hands? I'm King Nebuchadnezzar. Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego did not cave into the threat. They did not obey his command. The king, being furious, then commanded that the furnace be heated up seven times hotter than it had ever been uh, brought up before. And he commanded his most holy men, his most mighty men, I should say, to throw them into the furnace. The mighty men bound up the children of Israel, and as they threw them in, the Bible says that the furnace was so hot that it killed the mighty men of Nebuchadnezzar. That day, Nebuchadnezzar lost several of his most mighty men due to the heat of that fire. However, they threw the Hebrew children into the fiery furnace, and the Bible says these words, and Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego fell down bound into the midst of the burning fiery furnace. And the next thing we hear is Nebuchadnezzar, who said, way up high where he could look over into the furnace, he rose up off of his little throne, and he said these words, being astonished. Did not we cast three men bound into the fire? 
And they answered and said, it is of a truth, O king. He answered and said, well, I see four men loose. They're not bound. They're walking in the midst of the fire, and they have no hurt. And the uh, the, the fourth man is in the form of the Son of God. Oh, hallelujah. Can I tell you, then the Bible says the king commanded that they bring Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego out of the fire. And when they brought it to, brought them to him, he says, their fire had no power over their bodies, nor was their hair of their head singed, neither were their coats charged, and neither did they have the smell of fire or smoke upon them. All that the fire did was loose them from their, their bonds. There may be some of you here today that is going through the fiery trial of your faith. You may be facing the most difficult time of your life. Your back may be against the wall, and by all indications, the thing you're facing will bring destruction, maybe even death to you, death to you spiritually or maybe even death to you physically maybe it be death to you uh, uh, financially or maybe emotionally or maybe even mentally you're facing a fiery furnace a trial like you have never faced before, you're facing a trial like Shadrach, Meshach and Abednego did but can I tell you that if God doesn't deliver you from it, he will deliver you through it, he will be the fourth man in the fire with you, Jesus is the giver of life in the midst of trial, you will Find fellowship in the midst of your furnace. He will not leave you. He will not forsake you. He will be a friend that sticketh closer than the brother. The very fire that was meant to destroy you will be the very fire that will free you. Can I have an amen? God will use the bad things of life to bring about the good things of life. Jesus is the giver of life in the midst of trial. Can I have an amen? When you go to the New Testament and you see the incarnated Christ, This is where you see Christ robed in human flesh. You see him as the son of man. You see the first miracle that he done was one of the most unusual and most interesting things that he did. A matter of fact, you would think that his first miracle would be something of great significance or something of great spiritual importance, wouldn't you? But his first miracle was simply turning water into a wine at the wedding of Canaan of Galilee. Now, wine in scripture is symbolic of two things. It's symbolic of joy and it's symbolic of the Holy Spirit. It was considered a disgrace to run out of wine at a Jewish wedding, and it would be subject, the, 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 it w- the, the host would be subject to ridicule. There is also some superstitious Jews who thought to run out of wine at the wedding was an indicator that there would be no joy in the marriage, that joy would run out of the marriage, and that the marriage was not sanctioned by God. We have to realize in the first century that literally a wedding feast lasted a whole week, not just one night. It is here in Canaan of Galilee that Jesus' mother finds out that there was a depletion of wine before anyone else finds out about it. She's trying to save the party. She's trying to save them from embarrassment. Here the joy at the party was at stake. Here the host of the party was in danger of ridicule. Here the, the bride and the bridegroom was in danger of being embarrassed and disgraced. Here, matter of fact, there, there was a future potential of doom and gloom and a curse put on the marriage by superstitious Jew that would say if they run out of wine, then that's an indicator that joy is going to leave the marriage and it's not sanctioned by God. Mary, the mother of Jesus, comes to Jesus and he, she says, hey, they've run out of wine. And Jesus looks at her and says, well, mom, what do you want me to do about it? My time has not yet come. Mary, not willing to take no for an answer, looks at the servants that was there of the wedding and says, whatever he tells you to do, do it. He kind of puts Jesus on the spot. Jesus then tells them to fill six water pots with water. And, and, and then when they do, when he does that, when they do that, when they obey his command, he fills the water, th- those water pots that were filled with water, he turns it into wine. And the next thing that we see is when the governor that was at the feast tasted the water that was turned into wine by Jesus, this is what he said. Every man at the beginning of a marriage does set forth good wine. And when men have well drunk, then that which is worst, then that which is worst comes because thou hast, but he said, why have you kept the good wine unto the last? In other words, what he's saying was, when you first start out the party for the first few days, you got the good wine up front. And when people drink and drink and drink, finally you get the worst wine at the end, the cheaper wine. You save money. And he said, they really don't recognize it. But he said, I recognize something strange has happened. You've kept the good wine until the last. Can I tell somebody here today, and I don't know who this is to, that Jesus does care about life-related celebrations. Amen? Can I tell you, Jesus does care about joyful occasions. 
Can I tell you that Jesus does care about memorable and special events that pertain to life? You may have a marriage that's in need of joy. Your marriage may become dull and lifeless. I'm here to tell you that Jesus is a life giver to homes, to marriages, and to relationships. How many believe that? He can resurrect a dead, lifeless home by gracing it with the wine of his Holy Spirit. But as important as a marriage is, Jesus also cares about everyday life-related events. You may have a scheduled party to where you're entertaining guests and you want it to be your best. It could be a celebration of life. It could be a baby shower. It could be a wedding. It could be a birthday party. It could be a reunion. It could be a wedding anniversary. And the list could go on and on and on. Jesus wants to bless our occasions with his grace. You know why? Because Jesus wants to live and reside in us. Can I have an amen? I'm here to tell you that when you have run out of ideas, when you have run out of money, when you have run out of creativity, Jesus can bring life to the party. As a matter of fact, Jesus is the life of the party. Amen? Jesus can give life to our celebrations. Jesus cares about everyday, ordinary, common things that pertain to life. He does not want you to live a dull life. He wants your life to be joyful in Christ. The joy of the Lord, Nehemiah said, is our strength. Believe it or not, Jesus cares about the things that bring pleasure to us. That's why that First Peter 5 and 7 says, says, casting all your care upon him because he cares for you. He cares about us and he does not want us to be embarrassed or be brought to ridicule. Jesus is the giver of life to a party. In Luke 8, we read about a story of a woman with an issue of blood. Oh, I wish I could preach for hours here today. The Bible tells us that for 12 solid years, this woman bled and suffered many things at the hand of many physicians. She tried all different kinds of procedures, medicines, home remedies, techniques. Some of them could have been quite painful and some of them were caused serious suffering. As a matter of fact, this little woman was at the end of her rope because she had spent all that she had on doctor bills, but yet rather grew worse. She had no more money. She had no other place to turn. She was at the end of her rope. She was at the end of her means. She was tired. She was weak. She was frail. She was fastly coming to the end of her life if something didn't happen or something didn't intervene. She had heard how that Jesus of Nazareth was a life giver, and she's seen him in the multitudes. And she says, if I can just press through and touch the hem of his garment, possibly I could be made whole. She pushes her way through the multitude, and she touches the hem of his garment, and Jesus says, who touched me? And the disciples said, what do you mean who touched you? There are multitudes touching you and thronging you. He said, no, 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 no. Somebody really touched me. And he replied, somebody touched me to the point that I felt virtue. I felt power leave my body. The little woman comes up to him and she's humbled and she's afraid and she looks at him and said, sir, it be me that touched you. And when I did, I was immediately healed. And Jesus said, daughter, be of good cheer. Thy faith has made thee whole. Can I tell you that you may have been sick for a long, long time. You may have been carrying your disease around you for years and years. You may have had one prognosis, one right after another. You may have a disease that's uncurable, un un untreatable, and even unmaintainable. Your report may not be good. Your tests may be negative. You may have tried modern medicines and modern procedures and experiential techniques, and all to no avail. But I'm here to tell you, that Jesus is a life giver to the sick. Can I tell you that Jesus Christ still performs miracles? Can I tell you that Jesus still heals due to him being the life giver over disease? The Bible says in Luke 6 and 19, the whole multitude sought to touch him for there went virtue out of him and he healed them all. Luke 4 and 40 says, and all that had any sick with divers diseases, they brought him to him. He laid his hands on every one of them and healed them. Matthew 9 and 35 says Jesus went about healing every sickness and every disease among the people. Look at the intent of the pre-incarnated Christ before the cross. It says in Psalms 103 verse 1 through 3, oh bless the Lord, oh my soul and all that's within me, bless the Lord, oh my soul and forget not his benefits, a God that forgiveth iniquities and heals all of our diseases. Look at the redemption plan of Jesus and what it included. Yes, he was wounded for our transgressions. Yes, he was bruised for our iniquities. And yes, the chastisement of our peace is appointed. But through his straps we are healed. Jesus is the giver of life in the midst of sickness and disease and infirmity. Can you say amen?
Give the Lord praise. I love this. We see in Luke 13 a story where Jesus was teaching in the synagogue. It's on the Sabbath day, and a woman had a spirit of infirmity for 18 years was there. The Bible says she was bowed over and she could not lift herself up. She was a woman that wasn't just handicapped or unable to lift herself up, but the Bible says that she had a spirit of infirmity. She had that spirit for 18 solid years. It's odd to me how on many occasions throughout the scripture Jesus performed miracles. He performed them on people who had their problem for years, for a long time. For example, the woman with the issue of blood, she had it 12 years. The man that was at the pool of Bethesda that laid lame, it was 38 years. The demon-possessed boy who was tormented in Mark chapter 9 by his father's own testimony when Jesus asked him, said, how long's the boy been like this? He said, ever since he, from his youth, ever since he was a little boy, all the way up to the time of where he's, that's how long he's been demon-possessed. Now we see this woman, she's had her infirmity for 18 solid years. You know, it's human nature to learn to live with something the longer that you have it. Have you ever noticed that? The longer that a, that a man or a woman has, been, uh, ha, uh, has something, the more likely they are, learn, they are to learn to tolerate it. Matter of fact, it's our human nature to accept things of longevity to be normal. If we just expect it as a way of life, I'm just going to have to live with this. But I'm here to tell someone today, though you've been afflicted for years, there's a new day coming to you today because Jesus is the giver of life. This woman's infirmity was no ordinary infirmity. It was caused by a spirit. She was bound. She was controlled. She was imprisoned by an infirmity that was upon her. She could not help it. It was something that overpowered her. She was oppressed. She was depressed. And she was afflicted. And when Jesus saw this little woman in the synagogue that day, he just simply looked at her and said, Woman, thou art loosed from thy infirmity. How many of you would like the Lord to just come into the house today and just point at you and say, hey, woman, hey, man, you're loosed from your infirmity today. And you know what the Bible says? The Bible says that he laid his hands upon her and immediately she was made straight and she glorified God. Oh, how I believe before we leave here this morning that there's going to be people that's going to be leaving this place glorifying God. I believe that there are people that are bound over with oppression, depressed, full of anxiety, full of fear. The life is dull. There is no joy. Everywhere they turn, it's just a regret. Everywhere they go, it's just another day. Oh, another hard day. But before you leave here today, you're going to leave out of here leaping and praising God because God is about to set the captive free in this house. Can I have an amen? How many believe it with me? I'm here to tell you that Jesus is the life giver over the world. You're not here by accident. You're not here by coincidence. You're not here by luck. You're here by divine appointment this morning. I wish I had the time to preach about the demon-possessed man of Gadara, who no man can tame, the Bible says. He broke chains like they were feathers. He lived among the tombs, driven out of society, unclothed and even naked, and he cut himself with the sharp objects going around in the tombs, living in the cemetery, and it's odd that in the book of Luke 8, it says, and he had those demons for a long time. It's been like that for years. And when this man that no one could tame, no man could help, when he seen Jesus, it says he cried out. He fell down before him, and with a loud voice, he said, what have I to do with thee, thou son of God, most high? I beseech thee, torment me not. And here we see that Jesus did not torment him. Jesus did not punish him. He did not rebuke him. He did not imprison him. But he commanded the unclean spirits to leave out of the man. And when Jesus got done with him, the Bible says that he was setting and clothed in his right mind. The Bible tells us that God's not given us a spirit of fear, but of love and of power and of a sound mind. I'm here to tell you that Jesus is a life giver over demon oppression and demon depression and everything else. He's got power over the demonic world. That's why Acts 10 and 38 says how that God anointed Jesus Christ of Nazareth with the Holy Ghost and with power who went around doing good and healing all that was oppressed of the devil for God was with him. I like what Matthew 28 and 18, Chuck quoted it earlier, all power is given to me in heaven and earth. I like 1 John 3 and 8, for this purpose was the Son of Man manifested that he might destroy the works of the devil. I like Hebrews chapter 2 verse 14, that through his death Jesus destroyed him who 
have the power of death. That is the devil. Do you not understand that the devil is destroyed by the risen Savior, Jesus Christ? Amen. I don't have time to preach it all. But I like what Philippians says. It says, wherefore God has also highly exalted him and given him a name which is above all names that at the name of Jesus every knee shall bow and every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. I wish I had time to preach on Jesus giving sight to the blind. You remember when Jesus gave sight to the blind man in John chapter nine? I love this story. One of my favorite stories. The disciples seen a blind man and they asked Jesus. They said, Jesus, Which one of his parents sinned that this man was born blind, caused him to be born blind? Jesus looks at him and says, neither his mother nor did his father sin to where he was born blind, but he was born blind that the works of God should be manifested in him. And then they begin to see what Jesus is going to do about this blind man. He does something very unusual. He goes over and spits in the ground. He pulls up some clay out of the spit the moisture and the dirt and out of the clay he begins to mold something. He goes over to the blind man and slaps that clay in that man's eyes. You know what? We're made out of the dust of the ground, are we not, in Genesis chapter 1? Are we not formed by God out of the dust? Well, God just got the regular elements that he made the eyeballs in in the first place. And he took that and he made some eyeballs. He just stuck them back in the socket of the blind man. He told him to go wash. And when the man washed, he could see. He was He was healed of his blindness. Oh, the Pharisees heard about it. They're all upset. They're mad. They're furious. And they come to him and they begin to question him. And they begin to ridicule this man that was born blind. And and they tell us your story. And he tells them the story. And they wouldn't believe it. And they said, you're not him. And they went and got the boy's parents. And the parents came and they said, is this your boy? Yep. Was this boy born blind? Yep. And they verified that it was his son and that he was born blind and that this man named Jesus of Nazareth has came by, spit in the ground and made some eyeballs and stuck it in his eyes and now the man sees. And then they begin to ridicule him again and they ask him questions, say, how can this man Jesus heal? He can't heal. He's a sinner because he preaches on the Sabbath. He breaks the law. And finally, they just kept on and finally he said, all I know, whether he be a sinner, I know not. But all I know, I was blind, but now I see. I wish I had time to preach on all those that were lame where Jesus said, thy faith has made thee whole. I, like when, I wish I could talk about the lepers where Jesus said, thy faith has made thee whole. And he told the lame, take up your bed and walk, and they did. I wish I had time to preach on Jesus raising people from the dead like Lazarus. You remember Lazarus? He goes to the tomb. He says, hey, Lazarus, come forth. And he come wobbling out in his grave clothes and they had to loose him and set him free. You remember at the city of Nain when Jesus was going to the gate of the city, there was a funeral parlor or a funeral possession. They were carrying a man in a casket. And there was a little widow woman over there and that was her only son and she was weeping. Jesus walked in and seen them as they were trying to go out to the cemetery to bury the boy. And Jesus looks over to that little widow woman and said, weep not. He just put his hand on the casket and we did. The young man rose up and he says, hey, get out of the casket. And he got out of the casket and she went, he went and presented her to the Lord. Can I tell you, our Lord's a miracle worker here today. I'm here to tell you he's the giver of life here today. I just want to make an open declaration to this congregation. Jesus is alive. Our Savior lives. He's the giver of life. Jesus Christ is life. And without him we have no life. That's why Jesus said, I am the resurrection and the life. He that believeth in me, though he were dead, yet shall he live. I like what 1 John 5 and 12, son, he that hath the son has life. He that does not have the son has not life. I like Acts 17, 28, in him we live and we move and we have our being. I like John 10, 10, the thief cometh not, the devil cometh not, but to kill, to steal, and destroy. But Jesus said, I've come to give you life, give it to you more abundantly. I like 1 Corinthians 15 and 22, in Adam all die, but in Christ all shall be made alive. The whole message of the gospel, the good news is this, that Jesus is a life giver. Those of you that are facing serious disease here this morning, you're in need of a healing. Doctors has given you a bad report. Jesus is the giver of life. 
Those of you that are oppressed and depressed, your life is void of liberty and joy and freedom, Jesus is a life giver. Those of you that have lost your dreams, your hope, your ambition, Jesus is a life giver. Those of you that's lost your vision, maybe you lost your way, Jesus is a life giver. Those of you that lost love, lost your love in your marriage, Jesus is a life giver to the marriage. Those of you that are in spiritual trouble, you're lost, unsaved, and afraid, Jesus is a life giver. I know that the Lord wants to perform some miracles here today. I know that without a shadow of a doubt. In every one of these miracles, the people that received them had to come to Jesus or they had to respond to Jesus who came to them. He's here this morning and he's talking to a lot of people. He's drawing you. He's calling you out by name. He's inviting you to receive of his spirit. He's inviting you to receive life. He came to give you life and to give it to you more abundantly. I'm here to tell somebody today that Jesus is waiting on you and if you'll draw out of God, God will draw out of you. Everyone in need here today, no matter what area it's in, physical, mental, emotional, spiritual, Jesus is the life giver. In closing, listen to what Jesus said in Luke 4 and 18. The spirit of the Lord God is upon me because he's anointed me to preach the gospel to the poor. He sent me to heal the brokenhearted, to preach deliverance to the captive and the recovering of the sight to the blind and to preach the acceptable year of the Lord. Listen to what he said. I've come to heal broken hearts. I've come to open blinded eyes. I've come to free captives. I've come to give hope to the poor and I've come to liberate those that are bruised. I've come to preach the acceptable year of the Lord. The word of God has been preached this morning. Would you stand, please? Hallelujah. I know this is Easter morning. I know we're a little bit crowded. I know there's new faces. But I want to tell you, if I had a problem here this morning that's bigger than life itself that I could not handle, there's a life giver in the house. He went to the cross to die not only to give you eternal life, but to give you abundant life while you're here on earth. Those of you here today that's got any kind of a need of life-giving flow of Jesus Christ, I'm going to invite you to come up here and let us pray for you. I really believe that God's going to perform miracles for somebody today. I just feel it in my spirit that somebody that's been in trouble for a long, long time, they just needed to hear that Jesus is a life-giver, that Jesus cares, that Jesus loves us, that Jesus is here fighting for us. He's not against us. He is the force that is with us, not the force that is against us. And if you're in need of this morning of a healing, of a touch of the Lord, I just want you to make your way up here. Would you come right now? We're not going to hold everybody. We're going to turn you loose just here in a few moments. Yes, look at this. These are needs in the body of the Lord Jesus Christ. I believe that God's going to touch every single one of them today. Amen. How many will believe it with me? I said, how many will believe it with me? Yes. I need my elders. I need my council members. I need my staff. We're going to lay hands and we're going to believe for you today. We're going to lay hands. And those of you that are in this congregation, would you just lift your hands this way as we pray for these people? There's some life, 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 uh, problems here that if they're not if they're not changed could literally wipe these people out but God's going to bring healing in their homes and lives today in Jesus name let us pray
his peace, go in his love, and go in his life, and live life to the fullness in Jesus' name. God bless you. You're dismissed this morning. Amazing grace.